hello and welcome to the first ever episode of a brand new podcast, The Golden Generation. But it's not an A-Legs podcast today. It's a World Cup podcast and we are so, so fired up. We're going to have episodes every single match day. I know we're not quite there yet. The countdown is on, well and truly, but every single match day throughout the tournament, we'll be providing you with podcasts and we're so, so excited for it. We're going to have Tom Williams live from Doha talking to fans and the people that matter. Plus, we'll have the likes of Marcos Flores, Guy Finkler, Tony Wilson, Jason Pine, Fernando Reck, and many, many more talking to us from every single corner of the globe, every single corner of Australia, and every single corner of Qatar. But from the corner of his mum's bedroom, first up in the panel tonight, it's a man by the name of Lucas Ronaldo. How are you going, Lucas? I'm brilliant, mate. Finally, finally, we're here. Feels weird that we're here in November, but it is great that it's finally the time that any football fan around the world waits for every four years. So much to talk about off the pitch, on the pitch, everything. We're going to cover a whole lot in this episode. We'll be doing group by group previews, bit of talk around the whole ethical situation that's going on in Qatar because it's not great, is it? And here to join us in our chat about all things 2022 World Cup today, also it's Pat Braschetto. Pat, how are you going, Matt? I'm I'm very well. Um, I, I think it's ironic that we have two Italians to discuss a World Cup podcast when Italy are very <laughs> conspicuously once again not there. But um, I look forward to showing off my knowledge of the likes of Costa Rica and Ecuador's pressing. So look forward to that, everyone. Um, no, nah, it's great. The World Cup's right around the corner. I mean, Despite the circumstances around it, I think at the end of the day, we're all a little bit excited for it to some degree. I'm a little bit more than a little bit, and I wish I could say that I was only a little bit excited, but there's nothing like a World Cup. So even even though all the yeah. shit around it, uh, you can't get more exciting. I, I'm not sure about other people, but I split my – the way I remember years is by, oh, yeah, that was when. <laughs> that was the year of the World Cup, wasn't it? So uh, I, I find it impossible to be anything less than absolutely bloody pumped. It sparks something in you, doesn't it? It gets a certain kind of fire burning within. But I think the first thing that we need to talk about, we are going to be doing group by group previews, and we'll get on to group A in a few moments. But a couple important things to touch on before we get into group A, before we get into the Socceroos as well. The first thing is a hot podcast that we highly, highly, highly recommend. We're not taking any money for talking about this in the show, but we just want to suggest you getting your ears wrapped around the Inside Football Podcast, hosted by Joe Simon. Much like our show, tactical, comedic look at the World Cup. <laughs> Plenty of episodes all throughout the tournament with some special, special guests. We've got some great guests ourselves, but <laughs> I highly recommend this podcast because every World Cup... Aussies want to be hearing the voices of Ed Cavalier, Santo Cholara, and they will be doing just that if they tune into the Inside Football Podcast. So Ed Cavalier, Santo Cholara, Tony Wilson, Nick Stoll, plenty more guests with Joe Simon, the host, of course, on the Inside Football Podcast. So do tune into that. They've got ripping guests lined up, as I said, and also... We didn't take any money for talking about the Inside Football podcast, and we're not going to be taking any money from any grubby advertisers all throughout this World Cup. We're not going to be sliding in any sneaky sponsorships at all throughout the tournament. But 
because we do appreciate any support that we can possibly get and we do want to give ourselves the opportunity to receive financial support. I'm sure you guys can all understand that. So we've started a Buy Me A Coffee page. You can check us out at buymeacoffee.com forward slash TGG football and you can buy us a coffee. Well, I don't know if you guys are big coffee drinkers. I'm not. I'll just use that money to invest back into the podcast, to be honest, into gear. But uh, yeah, you can support us from however much money you want, whether it's $1, $2, $3, $100. Check us out, buymeacoffee.com forward slash TGG football. Now the Socceroos. Let's talk about them. At the moment, we're ranked 38th in the world. It's our fifth consecutive. How? How are we ranked 38th in the world? I'm sorry, but... <laughs> yeah, we should be top 10. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course>. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be hoping, praying for the, those religious folk among you that uh, we <laughs> make it out of the group for the first time and only time since 2006. However, unlikely that may seem to the pessimists among us, but Lucas, how are you feeling about our hopes and fortunes in Qatar? Um, well, it's like any World Cup. Six months out, you think you've got no chance. Six days out, you think you're going to win the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I think this is, even though it's not obviously our best team, I do think it's a better team than 2018. Um, maybe not as good a coach, as harsh as that sounds. Um, but this group has been together for a long time. Um, and I think the, the way the group has fallen, um, having Tunisia second, I do think that this could be our best chance to have some hope of going out. Whether we get out is another story, but I do think there'll be a point during the World Cup where we think we're going to get out. Um, Tunisia obviously are no easy beats. I think they've just been Iran 2-0, I believe, um, a couple of days ago. So um, they're not a team that can be taken lightly. But at the same time, they're probably the worst team we've ever we've ever faced in a World Cup, really. Um, so I'm excited and nervous, and obviously we've got injuries left, right, and centre between and players coming back, the likes of Hrustic, where the boy will be fit, Sutar. Um, but all in all, I do think that there is an opportunity for us to get out of this group. Pat, uh, I want to just get your overall a bit of a vibe check with you about how you just feel not so much about the on the pitch, but your excitement just for the World Cup spectacle as a whole. Because for me, for the Socceroos last time out in 2018, of course, we had Bert van Marwijk, and it felt like this weird kind of bridge-crossing period where he was only in for the World Cup with a few friendlies before it. Um, and it almost felt like he was just would be in and out and didn't really give a shit. Um, but now we've got Graham Arnold who, as people who have read the article in The Good Weekend and people that know him are aware of, he really, really, really cares about how the Socceroos go and how he performs on just this biggest of stages. Um, so what, what are the vibes you're getting at the moment from the Socceroos and the World Cup as a whole, Pat? Um. I don't know. It's interesting because I think the vibes, especially towards the end of the Asian qualifying campaign, I think there was a lot of pessimism. Obviously, Graham Arnold became very tetchy in um, press conferences. He kind of tried – it wasn't even like a siege mentality. It was just very negative and it was really interesting that it was like that. And then obviously we had that amazing win against Peru and there was a bit of a 180 all of a sudden. I mean, of course, when you have a win like that to qualify, there is going to be – it's going to be very different. But it's – um. 
It's interesting now. I think that negativity is gone a little bit. I think he's really, if you if you listen to the way he's speaking, he's been speaking about it's all this Aussie DNA. He wants you know the eleven boxing kangaroos and stuff like that. It's very clear. He's now kind of trying to do a bit of an opposite. It's a bit all about everyone needs to fight for every loose ball needs to run for harder than the opposition. It's all that kind of thing. And I don't know if that's just maybe because he realizes that we're technically the worst team in the group if we're going to be realistic about and probably have the least quality players all around. But it is interesting, I think, you're touching on the mentality. It's interesting how there is a bit of a change from, say, back in March when we um lost to Japan and just that whole qualifying campaign, how it kind of started to disintegrate a bit. Look, from a personal point of view, I'm a bit more pessimistic than Lucas, if I'm honest. I, I don't see a lot of hope. And that's, look, to an extent, it's not even really Graham Arnold's fault. I just kind of think that the players we've got, as I don't think there's too much difference between the 2018 squad. I really think it's a flip of the coin in deciding which squad is better. Um, I don't know. I'm just not really too. It's just we 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 haven't been dealt the best cards, and even we we have probably the best players we can, but a lot of them are under big injury clouds, as we mentioned before. So it, it just for me personally, it's hard to get hopeful of progressing really we uh, it, it's difficult to say if we can beat Tunisia we have to see how they go obviously we have to see how we go in our first game have to see how they go in their first game because I've never seen them play before so I can't really make a comment so that, and look that is going to be the one we look at to at least get a win even if we don't progress from the group if we get a win obviously then that's something we can look back on we can hold on to but look my yeah personally my hopes aren't too high it's more I'm just happy that we're here because I know for Australian football it's incredibly important I think the um, France game, the big thing is damage limitation. In 2010, obviously, we got spanked by Germany 40 on the first game. Tim Cahill, red card, tournament over right there. Goal difference is probably going to be massive. If we are to go through, it's probably going to be with four points. I don't see us getting any more than that. So I think the France game, and it's the perfect time to play France because you're going to catch them cold. The Obviously, the history of... Um, teams going uh, the defending champions in their first game especially is very poor and going through is awful. Um, So especially with the lack of friendlies, um, I think this is the perfect time to play France. They have injury issues of their own. Their midfield doesn't look the same as it did four years ago, um, which I'm sure we'll get uh, to a bit more when we go through the groups. Um, But I think that game, it's all about Hopefully getting a point, but the main thing is just to make sure that deficit, if we do lose, is just by a goal. Yeah, and look, I think obviously we, very, we you know, Denmark and France, we did verse them at the last World Cup, and we did we kept it very tight. We're probably unlucky not to get a draw in that game. We lost very narrowly, yeah. um, two one. But I do. You mentioned the friendly there. A bit of an aside, but I'm very. I'm. It's curious to see that we haven't even tried to play one friendly. I know there's not a lot Doesn't of time. I know sense. they literally. Got into but it's just not even one game just to like get the cobwebs out to try something. There, there is I, enough time though because the World Cup starts. It might start on Monday morning our time, but our first game obviously is is the Wednesday true. morning our time, and they've been yeah. in camp for ten days. We could have played yeah. a game seven days before. So I, I think it's I think it's silly. I'm not I, sure. I think I think that that could that is. I mean, we need all the advantages we can get. We need all the help that we can get, even if it's like a bit of the, I don't know the gods helping us with terrible refereeing decisions. But we're, realistically, we're going to need all the help we can get. And I just, I'm very confused as to why we haven't tried to at least just one, one game. It's a little bit of a, um, 
a strange one, maybe Graham Arnold's thinking because they've been playing so much right up until last week they don't need it. But even then, that's a bit shallow logic if that is the case. Well, it could it could be a case of just wanting to keep the plans under wraps to an extent? I know every international team has their scouts and stuff who will know the way your team plays, but maybe <laughs> the off chance he's got some revolutionary game plan that's going to change football forever and he wants to whip it out in the first game against France. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think especially... I think it's, tactics are very important for us because obviously we haven't got as good a team. And I do think that when you're a bit of a minnow nation as we are, then a big part of it obviously is sort of catching teams by surprise. People aren't going to know sort of the ins and outs of every team. I'm sure France have quite an extensive scouting network that they'd be able to find that stuff out. But maybe they don't know 100%, especially because we've got guys like Sutar coming in who hasn't played for a while there'll be there'll be parts of our team that they won't be all too familiar with hopefully so that definitely could be a part of it they'll be regretting not spending every minute of their days scouting Jason Cummings he's going to put five past them <laughs> uh, no doubt in my mind um, but yeah get your diary out get your quill out like you're in 1852 because I'm going to hit you with the game times for Australia uh, I'm talking in Melbourne Sydney time here so Wednesday, the 23rd of November at 6am, we play France. Then on the Saturday of that week, the 26th, we play Tunisia at 9pm. And then uh, Thursday, the 1st of December, pinch punch first of the month at 2am, rise early for our game against Denmark. Fire up for that one. And, well, speaking of fired up, I know this is... Like, this wasn't in our rundown, but I've been doing a bit of looking just while you guys were speaking to find out what the World Cup song was this year because I had no idea. World Cup song is one Speed. of my favourite things. Every four <laughs> years, <laughs> well, I searched up World Cup song. That came up. That's not the official uh, one. It's actually a banger, uh, by the way. I, I do uh, know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a song called Higher Higher, Better Together, FIFA World Cup 2022 official song. And look, maybe... Well, definitely, we can't put it in because Qatar and FIFA will sue us to the moon and back. But I'd quite like to pause the recording of this and have a little listen. What do you guys think? Yeah, sure. Why not? Assure you, uh, the elevator music you just heard is not the official World Cup anthem. The official World Cup <laughs> anthem is Higher, Higher, Better Together by Trinidad Cardona, Davido, and the Qatari singer Aisha. And to Trinidad me, even, aren't even in it. They're the three people <laughs> that I just about like the least in the world right now. Because I don't like that song at all. Pat, that was what? your first time hearing it. Did you like it? I thought it was all right. I mean, look, in my mind, um, Waka Waka from 2010, that is on another level that will never be beaten. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's got some nice upbeat tempo. Yeah, you can kind of get taken away by it, I guess. Fozzie Bear really smashed out uh, out of the park 2010 World Cup anthem, didn't he? But, Lucas, you liked it, strangely enough. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was good. Like like you say, it's, it's nothing on Waka Waka or the, or the Ricky Martin one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I... I, I think it's perfect. I think for a World Cup that screams absolute awful all over it and is the least World Cup-y World Cup ever, it's got a bit of a decent tune going. Also, Come Dog wins the cup. Sort of could be fit in that little chorus there. But, you know, 
we'll, we'll change that when once he does it. Mm, yeah, that'll be the Lucas Fonalo's debut single uh, in about a month from now, <laughs> straight after the final. Um, <laughs> but on to less jovial matters where all of where most people, I'd say all the people who are tuning into this particular episode are aware of the human rights abuses and the uh, ethical issues coming out of Qatar and even their selection as World Cup hosts all the way back in 2010, which was a dark, dark day for anyone who didn't want the World Cup to be in Qatar and more specifically wanted to be wanted the World Cup to be in Australia. <laughs> Lucas, uh, can you? it's such a complex issue, issues even, but can you attempt to break it down for us? I think as, as well as anyone can articulate this, it's impossible to articulate because we... We don't know the the ins and outs of what it's like to live in Qatar and without trying to plug ourselves, that's definitely not what I'm doing here, but one thing that we're going to try and get Tom to do while he's over in Qatar is speak to some of the people that are actually there and not just the people that are, are designated as fans by, by Qatar themselves because I think that's the people who, who matter most in this. And one thing that people have said and we talked about when Socceroos did that video is that people is that football should stick in its lane. That's ludicrous because football's the one thing that can cross any sort of dimension, any religious, any any racial divide is football's a universal language and that's one of the powers that football has is it should be able to bring pe- people together. I think everyone would have hoped that football would have helped to change these laws before the world happened, such as the human rights laws that have resulted in 6,500 people dying, such as the, the same-sex marriage laws that are all awful. Um, we've had Sepp Blatter come out last week and uh, in that Netflix documentary, which is, is very good if people haven't seen it, um, the, um, and say, uh, well, that the World Cup should never have been in Qatar. Well, it's too late, mate. You've accepted the money. Um, I did an interview with John Cosmina last week, and his quote was, "Well, you can say that now, but you should be in jail." Like he's he's the one responsible, or one of the many people responsible. Um, and it does sort of hurt the enjoyment of the tournament because you know that the things that have had to happen to make this possible, I would have been there if it wasn't in Qatar, hundred um, percent. Um, but I. Uh, not, I'm not going to sit here and say it's only because of the the human rights issues. There's there's other factors that come into play, and about it just not being as exciting a World Cup for me, because um, uh, it's in Qatar. But if it was in another country, obviously, if it's Australia, then I would have tried to go as many games as I could. But um, if it was in America or whatever, then I definitely would have tried to go on. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, this is this is the way that the World Cups had to happen. Um, and I just hope that it brings lasting change in Qatar because I expect it to happen before now. Um, but to me, it looks like FIFA are just trying to get through this as quickly as possible. Uh, well, I should say there's a good, really good podcast that helped me understand a bit of it on a deeper level. It's um, called The Ticket. Well, the show is called The Ticket um, with Tracy Holmes, an ABC podcast. And the episode's called Beyond the Headlines of the Qatar FIFA World Cup. It's the latest episode at time for recording. So I'd recommend people give a listen to that. But, Pat, um, there's, there's this whole issue of sports washing. And I find it hard to dissect in my own mind, and I'd like to <laughs> you to help me to dissect it and discuss it. Um, is 
having the World Cup in Qatar this year, is it a good thing at all because it shines a light on some of the abuses that are occurring over there? And if the World Cup wasn't in Qatar, um, that it would just be going by completely unnoticed pretty much. Um, that being said, in a couple of months, almost every major outlet is just going to be completely um turned off the issues going on in Qatar because the circus has left and um, everyone moves on. So, yeah, help me dissect it, please, Pat. Well, I think it, it sounds like that could be a way that it's going to happen, but I think you sort of answered the question yourself is the fact is that, of course, they're going to put on a different image during the World Cup when the whole the eyes of the world are on them. Of course, they're not going to do – of course, they're going to step back their draconian measures. Look, at like, – if you look at the look at the Russia World Cup in 2018, that was, you know, we all got sucked up by it. We all forgot about, um, you know, Putin's war in the Ukraine. We forgot that this was supposed to be, you know, Putin's World Cup. And we got swept away seeing Croatia make the World Cup final, Germany failing to make it out of the group. You know, we, we, we forgot about it. And look, four years later, look now what's going on in that part of the world. And the fact is that it's not, nothing's going to change there. It's just going to go back to the exact same as it was before. And then, you know, the sports washing aspect of it, it's been the only reason they're holding the World Cup is because they're wanting to launder their reputation in the eyes of the world. They want to improve their, you know, they want to get businesses, they want to get money, but they want to show that Qatar is actually this, you know, modern, prosperous, accepting country when it's so obviously isn't and that's just you know i mean i mentioned at the top of the show that my excitement with the world cup isn't the same as what it is in previous years and unfortunately a lot of it is just all of the off-field issues you now lucas mentioned a lot of them very well just before and it's it's difficult to get a, a handle on you know I, I i tried to do it in i wrote an article and kick 360 a few weeks so trying to get a handle on it. and basically it's hard to make a judgment because everyone everyone has a different line in the sand as to the best way to deal with it like some people think that unless you boycott it, refuse to watch it on official channels or unless you refuse to buy any merchandise, like it, that's the only way you can adequately do it. Whereas others may think that, you know, as journalists is, should our role be to report on, you know, we report on the football because it's our job, but then we also make sure as much as we can, we shine a light on the issues. And at the end of the day, everyone's got a different opinion on what the right and wrong thing is. And I just think that's what makes it so difficult to have proper kind of protest or counter acting against this World Cup. It's just, it, it, it's hard. I think at the end of the day, we're all, I don't want to say we're all victims because that probably takes away from people who truly are victims, but I think we're all losers in this situation. And it's just, it's just a sad way that, that that's the way that football is in the modern age. Lucas, do you, how successful? It's clearly an attempt at sports washing from Qatar, right? It, how successful do you reckon their attempt has been? And I mean, well, we've still got a month till the end of it, even more. So, or will be? How successful do you think it will be? Because to me, Pat mentioned Russia, and at Russia, maybe it's just the bubble I'm in now compared to then. But at Russia, it felt like everyone went over there and. Like Pat said, it kind of just forgot about the issues. They were just like, oh, Russia's actually got some cool things about it. Like, look at this nice church. Look at this nice this and that. It's The people are lovely, all that kind of thing. The beers are great and the football is awesome. But in Qatar, 
that doesn't seem to be any positive things being said about it anywhere in the media, really. It's just like, it's too hot. Uh, the, <laughs> the laws are shit. Um, the beers are too expensive. Um, and yeah, it's just a horrible place. Nothing positive seems to be being said about it. Uh, I think the big difference between that World Cup, and let me just preface this by saying there's a big difference between cultural issues and a way of a way of life and a culture. That's something we need to obviously address. We're, no, and like obviously we're not going to have too many Qatari listeners, but um, no one's going over there saying, "Oh, they should change their their drinking laws or whatever." Blah blah. Yeah, That's part point. of their culture. That's fair enough. Yeah, but. It's the parts where obviously there's laws that are just incorrect, such as same-sex marriage stuff, such as human rights stuff. But I think the big difference between this World Cup and Russia is Russia firstly had a history in football, a history in football, so people sort of could connect with the fact, oh, Russia, I know them. I think Russia didn't have as draconian laws. And I think the big thing is it's easy to look back now on what Russia's become but we'd only heard what Putin was like, whereas now we've got a tangible reference to sort of look back and and know, oh, this is what this country has done, whereas at that point I don't think there was as obvious an example of, oh, he's invaded Ukraine, oh, he's done this. Um, That is maybe rewriting history a little bit. Like obviously there's examples of, of Putin acting in a certain way, but I don't think it was as outwardly obvious to the point where it distracted from the tournament. I think you could go there to Russia. And look, every World Cup since Germany, South Africa, people went over there going, oh, Johannesburg is the capital of knife crime in the world. It's, it's the capital of, um, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, it was one of the capitals of, um, of homicide in the world at that point. Uh, so everyone went over there fearing for their lives. Brazil, everyone went over going, oh, what about the favelas? There's always... And then, and obviously, a big issue with Brazil, as it was with South Africa, is there were so, uh, socioeconomic uh, challenges to those countries where there were, were protests of people that didn't want the World Cup because there were people that needed more help in the country. Uh, Twenty eighteen, obviously, Russia, as we now know, had its had its problems, and there was rumours of corruption. Now, Qatar's got issues, but these are the most substantial because these are these are laws that are in place that prevent equality. So I think this is just, it's not completely different, but it's almost like we've evolved with every World Cup since 2010 to this point where now we're we're having to, where politics and football are just intersecting. And it's just wherever the World Cup goes, wherever the circus goes, there are just a whole lot of white elephant stadiums left there that cost millions, if not billions, to make. And... They're not getting used after the World Cup, after that one month um, of party time. Um, well, think, think of the human cost say, as well. I mean, of if, course, in Qatar, yeah. I mean, obviously we've got to say the alleged human cost to be legally correct, but there's no denying that there's been so much suffering from all those migrant workers in so many different ways. It's just, yeah, it's just awful. And I commend the journalists that have, you know, come out and exposed all of these different aspects. But the the reality is that since we found out 2010, we've, we've done our best to try and ignore it because we just don't want to think about our the sport that we love so much being tainted and corrupted 
in blood and money, but we kind of we can't ignore it now. It's here, and we're we're all having to make difficult ethical decisions at how we view and consume the World Cup. And I think at the end of the day, there's very few like like I was saying before. It's just the line is so blurred. I really think there's not really a right answer at the end of the day. I just think that's that that's sad. I think it's just a really sad thing. I made a bit of an unthinking comment about beer and. Uh, Qatar before, and uh, like Lucas said, um, it's. I don't think Qatar should be expected to change all their alcohol laws. I, I'm totally happy that they keep that part of their culture uh, where alcohol's frowned upon, uh, to say the least. But we'll move from the off-field in Qatar to the on-field in Qatar's national team's group, Group A, uh, the group that will um, showcase the uh, the opening game of the tournament, Qatar versus Ecuador, of course. And we've also got Netherlands and Senegal in that group. Lucas, how do you see this group playing out? Because Netherlands are the clear, <laughs> clear powerhouse of Group A. Um, yet, and the rest of it seems very weak. And lots of people are having the Netherlands down as a team who might not perform as well as they should and People are saying it's one of the weakest groups they've ever seen in a World Cup. I think weakest groups ever seen in a World Cup is a bit harsh. Obviously, the fact that the that the top seed is Qatar makes it weaker. Um, I think this is a bit of a new look Netherlands side compared to obviously they missed out in 2018, but now all the names that they've relied upon in the past, Robin, Van Persie, Schneider, all gone. Uh, Van Dijk, obviously. Uh, has missed major tournaments in the past um, through injury and then 2018 didn't qualify, so it's really his first major crack even at, at this age. Um, I think they're a pretty consistent team. Netherlands would be very happy with that draw. Um, outside of that, Senegal are a team that a lot of people are sort of putting as their dark horses, but their big problem, obviously, is Mane's injury, um, how much he plays. Um, it's It's... Unsure. Originally, we thought he was going to miss the whole tournament. I can see them rushing him back too quickly and acting to their detriment. I think, as well as that, um, I actually really think Qatar are going to do well. I think there's a few factors you have to consider. One, they are the Asian champions. They're not a bad side. They've put to, they've been preparing for this moment for a long time. Um, their team has been together, all operating out of the same hub, out of the side of the Aspire Academy. I've got Qatar to go through in this group, and I think they'll be at the expense of Senegal. Obviously, Netherlands are putting through at the top, but I can see Qatar surprising a lot of people. I think a lot of people in Europe in particular, when you see people breaking down this tournament, have written off Qatar. To me, I, I think they're going to go through and surprise a lot of people. Plus, as much as we hate to say it, bribery might be a factor. You know, South Korea in 2002... Obviously, he had a great run. 2018, Russia had a, a great run to the quarterfinals. There are some elements where FIFA wouldn't mind a, a little run from the host nation. Um, and uh, although I guess if there is no run from the host nation, they can just pay their their population to go and support other teams. So no lose situation anyway. Um, win win, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, so I've gone. I've gone Netherlands top, uh, Qatar second, Senegal third, and Ecuador. Um, they're going to look to counter attack. They're actually the only team in this group. Uh, I think maybe uh, Senegal uh, will play a four at the back as well. But uh, both Netherlands and Qatar will likely operate with the five at the back, and that is a theme in this tournament. A lot of teams going with that five at the back, um, but I, I do have Ecuador as my team that will finish bottom in this group. 
Oh, yeah. I was going to say it almost begs belief how much the the level of the levels of ignorance from the kind of mainstream football media outside Asia about the quality of Asian football. Like Qatar had been um, a team built for the last 12 years and a footballing system, ecosystem built in that country for the last 12 years, ever since it was announced that they would have the World Cup, to be good at this World Cup. So it is going to be a disaster for them if they don't perform well and there'll be massive pressure on their entire squad and their coach who goes by the name of Felix Sanchez. I absolutely knew that before just scrolling up on my page there. Um, But I... I would not be surprised at all if they did too well. Pat, what about you? Yeah, look, it, it's interesting. I do agree that I think Qatar are going to be very strong. I think they've got their their two uh, they've got two strong players, Almoez Ali and Akram Hafif. They were key in their um, Asian champion in their Asian Cup run. Uh, I just think there's too much of an unknown about them, and what I say by that is I just don't know about their experience of versing non-Asian teams in a competitive environment because they played in the Copper America because I think the Copper America invites one non-South American team every tournament. And in 2019, they played. They only got one point. And it's just, I do, I, the reason I haven't put them going through is I just, I just can't confidently say that they can beat Senegal. And of course, there's big question marks over Mane's Lucas said, but I still think they've got a, they've got a strong side Senegal. They've got Edouard Mendy in goal. They've got Khalidou Koulibaly, at centre back, so it's very solid. They've got players like Idrissa Gay, who's who was at PSG, is now back at Everton. He's a very good midfielder. That that's a bit of an all rounder. They, I, I just I can't confidently say that. Personally, I just can't confidently put Senegal below Qatar. I know that I think in twenty eighteen Senegal were very unlucky not to qualify, but I'm, I'm I'm kind of banking on Mane being fit enough to get the past Ecuador and past Qatar. That's why I've got um Senegal in second. Keep in mind, though, they might not have. They might have only got one point at the Copa America. They did also play in the Gold Cup uh, last year and topped their group over Honduras, who have obviously been at World Cups a lot in the past decade. And Panama also were in that group. Um, beat El Salvador in the next round. They made it all through, all the way through to the semi-finals, and only lost to the USA one nil. And that's again in a tournament where they're on opposition territory. They're, they're going to have the crowd behind them. So I think. That tournament is maybe, especially because obviously it was a bit more recent, um, has maybe pushed them and will hold them in good stead that those experiences playing against uh, teams from outside of Asia. Pat, I've got to say, I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed in you because we were wanting to ramp up the amount of social media followers we've got. And I asked you for a hot, hot, hot take for Group A, and you haven't given that to us <laughs> at all. You've given Sorry, us a logical man. and reasoned explanation you, you, of why Qatar You might see some more hot takes later. Just stay tuned. I'm dangling some, I might be dangling some hot takes for later. Don't you worry. <laughs> Could that be in Group B, which contains the US, England, Iran, and Wales? A very Western flavour to this group, isn't there? Uh, Pat, let, let's go to you first this time. Um, England. Widely tipped to top that group. Are they going to underperform and are we all going to be laughing our heads off when they do so? Look, I think they'll top the group just purely because of their quality, but I don't think we're going to see a run to the semi finals like in 2018 or to the final like in Euro 2020. Their defence has been hit by injuries, so Reese James and Ben Chilwell won't be there. And um, I think Kyle Walker's actually ruled himself out of the first game, so that means a, an out of form. 
Trey Alexander Arnold's most likely enough to start at right back. Um, Trippier. Oh, okay, tri- Trippier. Um, but even then, their defense is a bit out of form. You know, Maguire not really playing for United. I'm not really sure how Luke Shaw's going, but I don't think he's the player he was a couple of years ago. And and look, England are struggling. They got relegated from the Nations League in fairly embarrassing fashion. There's starting to be a lot of pressure on Gareth Southgate. I think all the it's coming home further from Euro 2020. I think it's starting to wear off a little bit. They're really struggling for form. I mean, look. They've got some. I think. I think it's going to be their young players. You know, the likes of Foden, Saka, and Bellingham. They are really going to be the ones that will carry them through if they are to kind of go a bit deeper in the tournament. I think. Yeah, I think the luster around them. I think twenty eighteen was their chance. With they had a weak draw. I think that was their World Cup chance. And I think this time around, look, they'll, they'll, I think they'll get out of the group. But in terms of a deep run and make a big impact, personally, I don't think. They're going to do that. Lucas, um, we've got three other teams in this group, which I invite you to speak about. We've got the US, Iran, and Wales. And Iran's an interesting one for me, a bit of an enigma. Um, there's, uh, players have been making some political statements, speaking out, and um, kind of, their actions even uh, in their warm-ups. Some of them have been um, kind of <laughs> trying to hide the badge um, because of all this uh, kind of uprising in Iran and the government's draconian punishments against the people. And um, they're led by Carlos Quiroz in their third, or his third World Cup for the national team. How do you see them going? And, of course, we've got the US and Wales as well. I think Iran could uh, surprise people. Uh, I haven't got Iran to go out of the group, I must say, but uh, I think that could galvanise them, the troubles that are going on back home. Um, I also think they've probably got a few more, like the likes of Jahan Baksh, um, are obviously bigger names than maybe they've had in the past. Like he's got a bit of a Premier League experience. Um, they've never got out of a, a group, but I do think this is one of the better chances to get out of the group. And I think for teams from Asia will fare better because they've got that experience playing here. Um, Carlos Quiroz is a, a defensive-minded coach, but I think that suits them very well. Um, part of it, obviously, as well, I'm sure that a lot of their players will see the United States as a bit of a, a rivalry game, I guess, obviously political tensions in the past, and I think that will be a pretty pretty uh, exciting game for people back in Iran. Um, USA are an interesting one to me because... I think they've got a very inconsistent team. Obviously, you've got the likes of um, Timothy Weyer and um, and uh, Christian Pulisic going forward, but their defence outside of Dest doesn't fill me with um, much confidence. Uh, and then you've got Wales, who are obviously so heavily de- um, relying on Gareth Bale. Likely his, probably his last ever involvement in football um, wouldn't be surprised if he retired after the World Cup. I'm not sure what his LAFC contract is, but it will be his last appearance with Wales. Um, and this is really his last his last saloon, and it, I would not want to go up against the Gareth Bale. I would not be surprised if Wales um, beat England at all um, in that game because I think they'll be so pumped up to play uh, England in a major tournament. In saying that, I think any of those three teams, I've got England to go top, but I think any of those teams could beat England. Um, I think it's a trickier draw than people think than for England. Um, but out, going outside of the group, the way my brackets matched up, 
Not sure if Pats is the same. I've got another easy run for England going late into the tournament. Whether they go late in the tournament, they might have to see how they go. But I do think the way things are matched up, they go through Group A, which is means they're going to play one of likely Qatar, Senegal or Ecuador. Um, and then after that, my quarterfinal matchup isn't the worst one. So um, I do. Th- I disagree with Pat, though. I think this is their chance. I think this is a better team than 2018, um, personally. Obviously, the defense isn't that strong, but their defense wasn't that strong last time. Um, maybe they had better, uh, like, obviously, they had Walker being fit um, in his prime, but now they've got even Trent out of form and Trippier, obviously. Um, they do lack depth. Uh, on the left side, but Shaw was amazing in the Euros. So um, I've got England to go out the group. Um, I think I'm going to go United States in second, but that is an absolute toss-up. I would not be surprised at all if Iran escaped the group. Um, And then I've actually got Wales finishing dead last. Um, But I I think um, everyone's going to take points off each other here. Um, And like I said, I think it's a lot harder group for England than, than people were. I'm making it out to be. Wales versus England on Wednesday, the 30th of November, 6 a.m. Melbourne, Sydney time will be so exciting if there's a lot on the line in that game. And How just many on- beers do you think are going to be thrown up into the air during the course of that game? I think <laughs> no one's going to drink a drop. I think if, if you're out in, in the United Kingdom at any point on that day, just face towards the sky and just open your mouth and beer will likely drop down into it. <laughs> It was some kind of world record will be broken. No doubt about that in my mind. And just, <laughs> Carlos Kuros, I've just had a little look. He has had he's the definition of a journeyman manager. South Africa, World Cup 2002. Portugal, World Cup 2010. Iran, World Cup 2014, 18, 22. So, yeah, real mixed bad for all well, our Matt just, Carlos. Just Manchester United as well. Just on Carlos Kuros, he actually wasn't the manager when they qualified. So they qualified top of their group in Asia and then they actually sacked their manager shortly after and I was reading somewhere apparently um, players were split. I think some wanted to keep the old manager and then some wanted the new one. So I honestly wanted to put Iran second but just because of that I, I'm not sure what their stability is like and then I know that um, I think we mentioned before Tunisia beat Iran in the warm-up game. That's kind of why I haven't put Iran third, that's why. I've gone Wales second is a complete toss-up. I have no confidence that that's going to be the case, but just in my little draw I did, that's what I went with. Also spent time between the last two World Cups managing Colombia and managing Egypt, managed Real Madrid as well, managed the UAE, managed Japan, managed America, managed Portugal. Interesting career for our mate, Carlos. Hello to the Kuros family if they're listening. But we shall move to Group C. And within that group, we have Mexico, Argentina, Poland, Saudi Arabia. A real interesting flavour to this group, Group C, Lucas. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of good food, actually, in this group. Um, <laughs> if, you, if anyone's doing a little World flavor. Cup of food, then I feel like this might come out on top. Um, but, uh, well, it's Messi's World Cup, isn't it? Um, a lot of people have tipped Argentina to go a long way and potentially win it, and the story would be magnificent if they can go the whole way. Um, I think this is the most balanced Argentina team I've ever seen in my lifetime. Ordinarily, they've had also Aguero, Tevez, Higuain, all these players to fit in. Now, obviously, Dybala's under a bit of an injury uh, injury cloud, if I can get that sentence out. Um, But outside of that, I think it's more just a balanced team. 
Um, they've got a good defence. Uh, Christian Romero from Spurs is quality. Um, then uh, Lissandro Martinez, of course, from from um, uh, Manchester United. But then you've got the experienced players, likes of Angel Di Maria and Nicolas Otamendi. Um, I just think this is a very, very strong Argentinian team. They're on a very, very long undefeated run, of, obviously. To me, and Pat's disgust, absolutely whipped Italy in that random cup that they invented between uh, South America and Europe. Um, but uh, I just think that, firstly, I think they're going to storm the group. I think they'll get nine points. Um, but I think this is a tournament for Messi. Anyone that hasn't got a team that isn't supporting a team that's going to go far, for example, Australia, I think... You, you'd be crazy if you're not hoping Argentina win. And I just hope it's Argentina and Portugal in the final for the greatest Netflix documentary. Yes, I'm banging the table, Harper. You're not going to be able to get those out of the edit. Greatest <laughs> Netflix documentary of all time. If Argentina, Portugal, me in the final, it's it's just beautiful. It's just like the World Cup's already corrupt. Can we just corrupt that final? Just make the bribes. <laughs> Make that final happen. I don't care how corrupt it has to be. I don't care if penalties have been given for no reason. Just make that happen because I think Argentina are the team I would like to win the World Cup outside of Australia. There are certain sounds that just scream World Cup passion. You've got national anthems, you've got Vufuzelas, and you've got Lucas Fernaldo banging his table. And for the, for the Australians who are interested in following the journey of Argentina through this World Cup, their games are at very friendly times. Melbourne and Sydney, 9pm against Saudi Arabia, 6am against Mexico, 6am against Poland. Handy, 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 we'll handy. have Marcos Flores on at some point during the tournament as well. We will. A little dangle there from Lucas and Alba. I don't mind at all. If they don't lose in their group, they will break the all-time men's record for longest international unbeaten streak. They'll hit 38. They're on 35 at the moment. Interesting wow. stats there for the Argentine national team. Pat, break down this group for us, sir. It's very interesting because you've got Mexico and Poland are probably going to be what most people will pick to be battling out for second. Now, Mexico are a little bit out of form. They lost to Sweden this morning in a warm-up match, and a big problem for them is their main striker, Raul Jimenez, also of um, Wolves, is having a terrible – well, both he's having a terrible goal-scoring run for club and country. He's also incredibly unfit as well, and considering that he scores most of their goals, it's a big problem for them. Um, it, it puts a lot of pressure on um, Herving Lozano of um, – Napoli to produce, and I'm also reading that apparently there's a little bit of disquiet around the manager, Tata Martino. So um, it's interesting because Mexico are usually a very solid team that excite, but then they usually get a really tough draw and get knocked out in the round of 16. So it's interesting to see if they're going to have enough in them to get out of the group. Because Poland, you look at that Poland side, I mean, Lewandowski's the, the obvious name there. They've got Wojciech Szczesny is a solid keeper, and um, Zielinski is, is part of this Napoli team that's sweeping all before them. And the thing is for me with Poland is I've backed Poland to do really well in the last two major tournaments and they have done absolutely horribly. So I'm, I've, they've lost my trust. So I haven't got them advancing. I've, I've got Mexico, but we've got Saudi Arabia, the last team in the group. They obviously topped the qualifying group with Australia and Japan in it. And they're a very tough team to beat. Obviously, they all play in the same league. Their chemistry is very much off the charts. They're going to benefit by um, a World Cup in the Middle East means that um, – you know, they're, they're very used to the conditions. But it was similar to the last World Cup. They, I think they did very well in qualifying. And then once it came to the tournament, they were really underwhelming, which is once again why I can't 
really back them. I think they look a bit better this time round. So I actually I, I back them to put it up a bit more of a bit more of a fight. But I've still got I'm I'm backing Mexico to maybe surprise Poland. Maybe Poland are once again going to get their major tournament jitters. I'm backing Mexico to maybe get out of their slump a little bit and join Argentina. I've I've got I've got the same. I think you'd be crazy to go against Mexico. They always seem to get out the group um, and lose in the round of sixteen. So yeah, I've got the exact same. Unfortunately, I believe they've Mexico have done that five times in a row or something like that ever since two thousand two. I may be wrong on that fact. And fact checkers, step back because I got a fact wrong before the first of many probably for me in this tournament. I said Argentina were just <laughs> two games off. Um, equaling the all-time record for longest un- uh, unbeaten international streak. I said they were on 35. They're actually on 36 because at time of recording, just early today, they beat the UAE 5-0. So even if they lose to Poland, they've still broken the record. Also, um, we but- should mention on Argentina, sorry, um, that if, as everyone would have seen, if Messi plays uh, all the games and his 1,000th game will be in the World Cup final, which is just... Poetry no way. <laughs> no way. Beautiful thing. Adds to the absolute luster of that documentary that we will no doubt be seeing on Netflix when Poland, Poland, Portugal and Argentina play each other in the final. Poland, Argentina in the final. It's a real log shot for me. Uh, <laughs> but we'll move on to Group D. And speaking of long shots, Australia is in this group. I'm interested to know how you think specifically we're going to fare against each team and how each other team is going to fare against each other because in this group joining us is the holders, France, we've got Denmark, dark horse of many, and Tunisia, the unknown horse of even more. So, Pat, break it down for us. What are you thinking, mate? Uh, France, Denmark, Australia, well, Tunisia, how do you see it going? I dangled a hot take, and the hot take is coming here. I am backing Denmark to top the group and Tunisia to follow them out of the group. We, we all know the World Cup winner's curse. We've seen Italy have been afflicted by such a severe extent that they have decided not to make the last two World Cups, but we saw Spain faltered spectacularly. Germany, is this Italian PTSD coming into this? <laughs> <laughs> Potentially a little bit, but, I mean, even if you look beyond – the so-called curse. I think we, we mentioned a little bit at the top of the show that France have got, they're, they're, they've got a lot of injuries. They're a little bit out of form. They, they struggle in the nation's league and they actually lost twice to Denmark in the nation's league at the top of the year. And I think, you know, there's always in recent years, there's always one big team to struggle, knock out of the group. And I'm just backing France to do it because Denmark looked fantastic. They made the semis of the Euros and I think they'll probably potentially unlucky not to make the final given the circumstances that, England won that match. They did very well in the Nations League. Obviously, they've got Christian Eriksen has returned 18 months after having a cardiac arrest. He's playing a World Cup, which is just amazing every way. The unreal. The team, through. of course, the, the team under Kasper Hulman. They're they're it's a little. I wouldn't say a golden generation, but they just they work so well together. They've been together for a while. That you've got Simon Kaya at the Pun back intended. and Yakim Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> and Yakim Anderson at the back, they're very solid. I, I just, I think Denmark could do really well, and I might even have another hot take related to them a bit later. But we might, I, I might save another hot take. I, I've got to spread them out. We've got to keep oh, the viewers mate. enticed. I'm spreading it out. But um, and then yeah, if I don't want France to make it, it, it's unfortunately as much as I'd love to say Australia will make it out. I think Tunisia by default will make it out of the group. Then. 
<laughs> Pat, Pat, if we're going to have a chat, how many points are we getting? Uh, in, in mine, I've given one. I've given us a bit of a sympathy draw against Tunisia. <laughs> Pat Prosciutto, ever the optimist. But I must say, mate. So, well, wait, hold on. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. So, hold on. If you're saying that we're going to draw with Tunisia, so you're saying that Tunisia are going to beat France, essentially? Yes. <laughs> okay. Jeez, that, that's a bit of a colonial uh, derby, that's isn't boiling. it? That's uh, Yeah. Uh, so Tunisia might be fired up, like Iran are fired up for their game against the US. I think Look, France I don't, usually have, I don't usually have hot takes, but I've got the scalding hot one tonight. <laughs> well, mate, I've already got a severe case of World Cup fever that's raised my temperature, but now I feel like I'm in the streets of Doha because <laughs> I am absolutely sweltering under this heat, uh, even though we're in completely different cities, just purely off that hot take. Man, I've got to take my jumper off. But... Lucas, let's go to you, my friend, and talk us through your predictions for this group. Are your takes going to be as spicy and hot as those? Well, of Pat I thought I, I thought I had a hot take. Now his hot take has made mine lukewarm. Maybe <laughs> lukewarm. Um, but uh, I, I've, I've got Denmark. <laughs> Finally, found a pun related to my name. Um, I've got Denmark uh, to finish top um, over France, but I do have France still going through. Um, then I think we're going to get two points. I think we're going to finish above Tunisia. Um, I think we're going to draw with France, lads. We're going to get a point off France. I think they're going to come in cold. They're not ready for the cum dog. Garangsky off the bench. They'll come in cold and we'll have Cummings hot. Exactly. Cum dog is going to fucking – well, maybe not. He's not going to score. He's probably going to start on the bench. But uh, I do think we're going to draw – Maybe a one-all draw with France, and then we're going to go into Tunisia, and all the all the Australian media is going to get behind us that don't know anything about football and go, "Oh yes, easy beats Tunisia." Not realizing we are also shit. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to draw with Tunisia, um, and then get spanked by Denmark. I believe um, that's my prediction. Um, uh, I do think Denmark are a great side. Again, great form. They won all but one of their qualifying games. Like Pat mentioned, they also uh, beat France a couple of times in the Nations League, which doesn't matter, but they still beat them. Um, And I just think that the togetherness, and again, I talked about um, Iran being galvanised. I think this group in the Euros, uh, this group of players, that is, um, got galvanised by uh, the Ericsson. What at the time looked like a tragedy. They thought that the best player, arguably, one of, well, outside of maybe Peter Schmeichel, maybe the Loudrips, one of the best players they've ever produced had gone down way too early in his career due to that incident. Um, and it was a terrifying thing. And they had to go out and play the rest of that game. That's one thing that's insane about that is that they had to play the rest of the game, play the rest of the tournament. And I just think those sort of things, you can't you can't buy that level of, of togetherness that that creates. I think this is just a group that, uh, are brothers now. They're they're linked forever, um, and I do think, as as a Spurs fan, Pierre um, Emil Hoiberg uh, turns into a different player when he puts on a Denmark shirt because I always think hey, he's a bit shit. Although he's not been <laughs> too bad this season, um, but for Denmark, he's always excellent. Turns into this box to box demon, um, and yeah, I've got I've got Denmark to go through. France worry me. France, as in. From their perspective, um, I, I think this is going to be a tough tournament for them, and hopefully, hopefully, we can capitalise that 
But yeah, I think we're getting two points. Uh, that's my positivity, but ultimately not going for it. We're not interested in uh, the French perspective, mate. We're <laughs> not interested in boring <laughs> for the French. Only thing we're interested I, in. I actually is... went to a, a French bar to watch the um, the uh, last World Cup final and everyone, Whoa. I thought it was going to be a bit more of a mixed crowd. It was a place called La Bouvette, which I do recommend to anyone in Adelaide. Um, and I expected a bit more of a mixed crowd. But it was all French people and people going, you do not look French. And that's my <laughs> terrible French accent. Um, and I was going, uh, je m'appelle uh, Lucas. Uh, uh, and just saying that and they could immediately yeah. tell I wasn't front, uh, French. But uh, <laughs> celebrated the win nonetheless with a little French cigar or two. <laughs> well, if you do happen to be in Adelaide, do visit Lucas. And you do if you do happen to be in the French Quarter of Adelaide, do uh, visit that uh, great, great bar, whatever that was called. Big shout-out to them. Please sponsor the Love show, it. even though um, uh, <laughs> I forgot the name of your bar. But let's move on to Group E and a group that looked very, very appealing to me. Got all the makings of a World Cup classic group in here. Spain, Germany, the big dogs. We've got Costa Rica, who I don't know so much about, and Japan, who are also... Oh, also, always good value at a World Cup. So, Lucas, I, I'm so excited for this group. How are you feeling? Well, my prediction, I feel like, doesn't actually match up with the prediction I'm about to say because I've got Spain and Germany to go through, but my head thinks that Japan are actually going to topple one of those. Um, but I'm not sure which one of the two they're going to topple. I think Japan are going to come in hot and cause an upset. There's always upsets at a World Cup. There's always teams that um, at least one big nation that misses the group, I think. And the fact that when you've got those two those two heavyweights in there, they just have to slip up one more time and they're out essentially. Because if that's a draw, say, between Spain and Germany, then you just need one more mistake and you're out. Um, Costa Rica, obviously no no easy beats as well. Um, in the past, they've obviously gone to the quarterfinals um, in 2014. Um, likes of Navas, of course, in gold, which having a, a, a really good keeper if you're a team that's going to struggle is always a, an advantage. Um, they'll set up in a bit of a 4-4-2. Um, likes of uh, Joel Campbell, who I think scored the goal against uh, New Zealand, much to our good friend Jason Pine's a disappointment to knock them out. Shame that New Zealand can't be here. But, you know, this would have been their group. So, you know, probably better off staying at home. Um, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've this is, like you say, this is the group of death. Uh, it's got two absolute heavyweights, Spain and Germany, but two heavyweights that are on the mend. I don't think, well, obviously Germany got knocked out in the, in the group stages last time out. Um, but I think Spain did make it out of the group 2014, struggled in 2018, getting knocked out by Russia. Um, so I just think that this is a group that has upset somewhere written all over it. But I did end up going Spain, Germany, Costa Rica. Uh, sorry, Spain, Germany, Japan, Costa Rica. But uh, Japan have all the makings. They're apparently looking at Ange Postacoglu after the tournament, but I think it'd be crazy to go. I did say that. Um yeah, maybe maybe Mike gets sacked after losing to Sydney FC. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I think um, they do have an upset in them. Um, but like you say, this is definitely the group of death and probably the one I'm most excited to watch. 
famously just on Ange and Celtic, if you don't perform in the Sydney Super Cup, geez, the pressure's on, isn't it? It's not a bad omen. A bad omen. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, uh, Lucas gave his fairly vanilla group ranking prediction. Is yours a bit more hot and spicy? No, unfortunately, a lot of my hot takes are Denmark-related. I've I've gone the exact same group layout. I'm interested to see Spain because I think this is the first World Cup where it's really the complete new guard. You know, De Gea's gone. Obviously, Pico's retired. Ramos isn't there. So we're really seeing in their place, especially in the midfield and up top, we're seeing um, some really exciting players. I mean, Pedri and Gavi from Barcelona, they're just absolutely brilliant to watch but I am interested to see just how this um Spain team goes I think they're they're getting I think both Germany and Spain they're both on the men they I think Germany were disappointing at the Euros even though they made it out of the group but I think they're starting to build under Hansi Flick their new manager I think they're starting to build a bit more and I think Spain they made it all the way they only got knocked they were a penalty shootout away from making the Euro final so I think we're seeing two big nations who are back on the up and I don't know what time the Spain-Germany game is. I hope it's at like 9 o'clock or something, so I don't have to lose too much sleep watching it. But I think that is going to be an absolute belt. I'm getting vibes to Spain-Portugal in the last World Cup. I think that one ended 3-3. So if we could get a game yeah. similar to that, that would be absolutely fantastic. But, yeah, look, I think look, Japan will be very competitive. I'd love to say they could get out of the group, but I think it's just a bit too hard for them this time around. Spain-Germany will be taking place at 6am our time, Pat, Melbourne-Sydney time. Uh, Ooh, so the Tyson, really been a good start. Get up a little bit early. <laughs> Don't mind that one bit. But <laughs> might be time to move on to Group F and within Group F. Uh, four teams, of course. And we've got Belgium, we've got Canada, we've got Croatia and we've got Morocco. So, yeah, this is very interesting. Belgium, it seems like it's always their last chance for their golden generation to do well. Similar story here. This really is their last chance. (laughs) (laughs) I don't say that every time, though. And then Croatia, of course, and uh, Morocco, and then Canada. Could be a bit of a wild card. Haven't seen them at a World Cup for a while, Pat. No, we haven't. It's very very exciting for them. They, um, well, they topped, um, CONCACAF, you know, they beat Mexico and the USA, so that they cannot be taken lightly at all. They've obviously got Alfonso Davies is their superstar player, even if he is at left back. But um, Kyle Larrin, their striker, I think he was the top score, oh, one of the top two scorers in all of qualifying for all over the world. So, he, I mean, he's going to be definitely a goal threat for them. But this group overall, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Belgium, Croatia, that, that that's a bit like the previous group, that's a toss-up between them really probably to um, top the group. You've got Belgium, who probably should have made the World Cup final in 2018, versus Croatia, who actually did, even if you could argue they had a bit of a softer run. I mean, Croatia's midfield, it's just ageless. You've got Modric there, who could probably play for another <laughs> five, six years at this rate. They've got um, Brozovic, Kovacic, um, you know, Kramaric can getting the goals is going to need to because um, Mandzukic isn't around anymore. So I'm um, interested to see how Croatia go. And look, Belgium, they've got De Bruyne, Lukaku. I mean, Eden Hazard's not the player he was, but maybe he can maybe turn back the clock a bit. So I do think, again, boring prediction. I think Belgium, Croatia to go through. I think Canada and Morocco, I think they're both going to be competitive. I think Morocco, they may have came last in the last World Cup, but I think that wasn't a fair reflection. If you look at all of their games, I think they were very close. I think they ran, I believe it was either Spain or Portugal to a draw, and I think they lost to Iran in 
the last kick of the game. So don't. I, I think Morocco will make things interesting and they could cause one of the bigger teams to slip up. But I think Belgium, Croatia will just have too much quality. Canada, Canada's for me a very interesting one because they'll be looking to perform well, as everyone is, but especially for them in the well extended lead-in to the next World Cup because, of course, they're co-hosting that with Mexico and the US. It's their first and only World Cup, actually, since 1986. And a little bit of trivia for you, Pat, Lucas, listeners, Canada's first ever international, and thank you, Wikipedia, for this, their first ever international took place in 1924 on June the 7th in Brisbane <laughs> against Australia, and they lost oh. 3-2. So, point of pride for us, Aussies. We beat Canada in their first ever international traditional rivals, traditional colonies of the UK. Uh, of course, we both had the U- Union Jack uh, at that point in time on our national flag in the top left corner, but that doesn't matter. Lucas, what does matter is how you think this will go on field in Group F with these four teams. Um, well, you mentioned Belgium's last chance. Uh, I think that's already gone. I think their team is outside of De Bruyne, past their best. Alderweireld and Vertonghen used to be two fantastic centre-backs. They're, I think, done. Um, obviously, no more Vasson company. Uh, Lukaku, obviously, is flattered to deceive at Chelsea. Now he's gone back to Inter. Eden Hazard has had injury issue after injury issue since he went to Real Madrid. Um I think really their their main man now is um, uh, is uh, Kevin De Bruyne. So a lot of their team has been absolutely ripped apart, and it's just not the same team. They do obviously have uh, Jeremy Doku, who was fantastic at the Euros last year. Very shocked that no one ended up picking him up from uh, from Ren. I'm not sure how he's done since then. Uh, but a lot of their team is on the downward trend. Uh, so I think I think they'll still go through um, because I do think they are. Um, somewhat better than, than Morocco and Canada, although Canada um, do have the um, ability to surprise. Um, and like you say, the fact that the World Cup they're hosting in four years, they'll have a bit of extra ammunition to try and go as far as they can. Um, but I've got uh, Croatia actually finishing top. Uh, the most remarkable thing about this group to me is that Belgium are ranked second, second in the world despite never actually really doing anything. Um <laughs> But uh, and they've got Roberto Martinez, their coach. I don't think he's up to that level. Um, but yeah, to me, Croatia obviously were fantastic. Went on that brilliant run in 2018. I think they're going, and they had Argentina in their group. I'm pretty sure in 2018, um, and topped that one when people weren't expecting it. So I think they'll do it again. Um, this team already was fairly aged, was a had aged a bit, and they have aged even more. But as Pat mentioned, there's a lot of pl- players that have aged very well and even though they're getting older I've still got a lot of ability yeah look as as much as I have Belgium finishing top in mind I've actually got them going out in the round of 16 to Germany and I agree with the point that Lucas is making about Belgium's defense it's that is the one area of the squad where it is definitely past it Mm, and uh Look, uh, we like to put a bit of trivia in some of these episodes, and here's one for you. Um, of Uh-oh. course, Jeremy, you mentioned Jeremy Doku, uh, Lucas. It's a very successful competitive family, actually. His sister, Sue, is actually an international puzzle solver very, at a very high rank. <laughs> Sue Doku. <laughs> oh, uh, fuck off. Fuck uh, off. Yeah. Uh, get 
used to those uh, very high, high quality stuff oh, on God. these daily episodes that we'll be giving you. Uh, I regret giving you any Im- ammunition to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you didn't mention his name, I would have had no idea, mate, but I've got some idea about one team in the next group. Uh, we're on to Group G now with Brazil, very many people's favourites for the whole thing, and Serbia and Switzerland and Cameroon. Lucas, how are you going to break down this group for us? Well, we'll get into later on who we think is going to win it, but Brazil are going to be going far at this tournament. Historically, South American sides tend to dominate the tournaments outside of Europe, um, and I think this is a very, very good Brazil side. Maybe not a typically Brazilian side because outside of the wingers and the strikers, you don't really have that much creative flair, but you do have the likes of a Catamiro in midfield. Just those destroyers, a very solid defence, two of the the two best goalkeepers in the world, basically. Um, and number six is very well on. Neymar might even um, overtake Pelé's goal-scoring record at this tournament, um, which shows how good he's been for them. In saying that, I think this is a very, very tough group, and I think this is one of the hardest and most even in terms of getting out of, because I think Switzerland always um, sort of punch above their weight and tend to go um, uh, get out the group. Serbia, I think, have an excellent team. Um, I think they are one of those teams that maybe could surprise people. Um, they have the likes of Milinkovic, Savic in midfield. Obviously, uh, Alexander Mitrovic has banged in the goals um, uh, for Fulham. Um, but uh, I also think that they Serbia tends to be a country that has a lot of national pride and they have a lot of players that would view playing for their national team above playing for their clubs and sort of rise up to that. Um, and then... Um, Obviously, as well, you got uh, you got Cameroon, who uh, one of the best, consistently one of the best uh, nations out of Africa, tend to always make the World Cup. I don't think this is as strong as previous uh, Cameroon teams, such as when they had the likes of uh, Samueletto and and that sort of thing. Um, but I do think that they can put up a fight. Um, in terms of going through, um, I tossed, I changed this one while we've been on this call. Um, but uh, or doing this podcast, but uh, I've got Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Um, yeah, I think it does in the past take a brave man to tip against Switzerland, but um, I do think Serbia, this this team is good enough, um, and I think Switzerland maybe don't have a good enough uh, as team as good as they had in the past, although Granit Xhaka has been in unbelievable form for, for Arsenal as much as I hate to say it. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, watch out anyone that's coming up against Brazil because I think they're going to do some absolute damage. <laughs> Pat, are you going to be uh, neutral on Switzerland? Uh, like Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got Switzerland progressing because, funnily enough, a bit like Australia's group, three of the four teams were in the exact same group in 2018. So Brazil, Serbia and Switzerland all know each other fairly well. And a bit like Poland at that World Cup, I back Serbia do quite well and they were fairly disappointing. So that has influenced me saying that Switzerland are going to make it through. And also because Switzerland, a bit like Denmark, a bit like Mexico, even when people don't back them, they tend to just make it out of the knockout rounds of whatever tournament they're in. Anyway, I think, look, Serbia have got Vlahovic and Mitrovic up top, which is potentially scary, but they both have a bit of fitness issues. 
I believe, which could plague them a little bit. Um, and look, to give credit to Cameroon, they've also got um, Zambo Anguissa, who is a bit of a flop at Fulham, and he's now been reborn in this Napoli midfield. So maybe we might see him. Can he carry Cameroon to maybe surprise victory, surprise progression? I personally don't think so because he's a very competitive group. Look, no one's keeping up with Brazil. They could go very far in the tournament as well. I do agree. But I'm just backing Switzerland because there's this kind of side that trundles along a little bit. And don't forget, they did knock out France of the Euros. And Lucas mentioned Neymar, potentially. He's in with a shot to break Pelé's Brazil goal-scoring record. And if he gets a hat-trick in the first game, then that record will be broken. Neymar's on 75. Pelé's on 77, but will move. Pelé will obviously change the amount of goals he scored for Brazil after that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. But we'll move on to Group H, the final group to preview. Before we get onto our last segment of the night, of the day, whenever you are listening, but in the final group, we've got Portugal, we've got Ghana, we've got Uruguay, We've got South Korea. Pat, how do you see that group going? Four continents represented. How do you see each one tracking? Yeah, well, we see a rematch of the round of 16 match between Brazil, I mean, uh, Uruguay and Portugal, the last World Cup. And obviously, Portugal with Cristiano Ronaldo, they're always going to get the most attention, I think, especially recently as, um, I mean, depending on what time you're listening to this, either half of the interview or all of the interview with Piers Morgan will come out where he's airing just just a oh, little yeah. bit of dirty laundry about Man United, just just a tad, a little bit Funny. controversial what he's saying. <laughs> so it's a bit interesting, obviously. So he's got a few Portugal teammates in the Man United squad, so I'm not sure how that's going to impact things. But I, I, I'm what, very high. Sorry, sorry. Did you see the video of Bruno Fernandes and Ronaldo? Um, I, I did see that. Portugal camp. But they tried yeah. to play that down. They said it was some sort of inside joke. But um, anyway. <laughs> We'll see what happens there, but um, I, I'm very hot. Cristiano Ronaldo. I think Uruguay. No, <laughs> not at all. Uruguay. I'm very high on them. I, I think they could do things. Maybe a bit of it. We might see. I think. I assume we're going to reveal like our final four and then our finalists. So we, that we could see some potential hot take action again from me there. Um, <laughs> but look, I mean, you've got Luis Suarez for one last World Cup. He, he's he's interesting in the World Cup, isn't he? I mean, back in 2010, oh, 2010 and 2014, let's be real. Um, you've also got Darwin Nunes, who's finally found his feet at Liverpool. He's hit the vein of form at the perfect time. And even if you look at um, their midfield, um, Federico Valverde, he's absolutely amazing for Real Madrid. So they've just got quality all over the team. And Edison Cavani, who can forget him as well. He's a bit aging like a fine wine as well. So um, I'm very high on Uruguay. I think they're going to top the group. I think Portugal... It's really weird. Since they made the semifinals in 2006, their World Cup record's been pretty bad, uh, relatively bad. Um, the round of 16, 2010, they failed to make the make it out of the groups in 2014, and then once again, round of 16. So, look, they make it out of the group. I think they're too good uh, for Ghana and um, South Korea. But, yeah, I don't know. I think um, – I, I, will we see a top – Peak Ronaldo, he's barely played for Man United, so I'm not sure what kind of Ronaldo we're going to see. But, um, yeah, Uruguay, a one to watch for me. On the top right corner of my screen, I'm seeing Lucas Ronaldo, who's champing at the bit to give his preview of Group 8. Before we move on to who we've got in the semifinals, who we've got in the final, and then a famed final segment between the lines. Lucas, uh, what do you think? 
Well, it's always great for me to talk about my um, slightly worse-looking cousin, uh, Cristiano. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this interview and how this spotlight, there's always a spotlight on, on Ronaldo, and he does revel in it, but he's brought more of a spotlight on, on himself by coming out like this. Like I said, I would love Portugal-Argentina to meet in the final. Um, I don't, and this Portugal side, it's not, in the past they've had Ronaldo and 10 guys who are pretty good, but not on his level. Now this team is something. Cancelo in defense, Ruben Diaz, the likes of Bernardo Silva. This team is stacked. One of the, I think probably top two or three uh, sides on paper um, at the tournament. Um, But I think they're not, I just think there's something wrong there. I just think maybe, I know their coach has been there quite a while. Um, and I just think there's a bit of imbalance. I do have them topping the group. Um, I think it'll be tight between them and Uruguay. Side note, I do have Uruguay in a sweep, so I do hope they go far, like uh, <laughs> like um, Pat said. Um, and the other man that Pat didn't mention um, is Rodrigo Bentancourt, has been in sensational form for Tottenham. Um, and uh, they have such a solid midfield, such a great front line, um, and they just seem to always... Um, they're another team that sort of tends to punch above uh, above their weight in in tournaments. Um, haven't touched too much on um, on South Korea and uh, and Ghana, but uh, Korea obviously Sun is their main man. Um, but uh, he's coming back from injury. He will be fit. I think he might have to wear a mask. He's had a bit of a surgery on his face. Um, I've got them finishing third. Um, of course, they caused a few upsets in in 2018 in Germany's group, beating them. Um, But, uh, yeah, I've got uh, Portugal through um, as top, Uruguay second, Korea, and then Ghana in fourth. Ghana, I think this is one of their weaker teams um, compared to what we've seen in the past. Um, They tend to always have a couple of stars, but on paper um, there's not too many names that jump off the page. of course, they've got the IUs and, and the likes of Thomas Party as well. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's too many names that jump off the page like a, like a Kevin Prince Boateng or an uh, Asamoah Gyan did. <laughs> now, Pat, no doubt each and every one of our listeners has been eagerly writing down who you've got <laughs> progressing from each of your groups in number one and number two spots. But let's just talk about the tail end, the pointy end of the tournament. Who have you got making the semifinals? Who have you got making the final? And who have you got winning it? Third place playoff, scrap that. No one cares. Just want those. Yeah, I've, I've been promising hot takes. So my semifinal number one is a bit normal. It's Argentina-Brazil. That's <laughs> bloody mouth-watering that one. I have Argentina winning that one on penalties. Uh, this one, this one's going to be a bit of a surprise. I've... <laughs> I'm laughing at it now, and it does seem a little bit ridiculous, but I've actually got Denmark and Uruguay in the semi-final. Wow. Um, okay. And I, 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 look, I deliver on my promise on the schooling hot takes. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's starting to get a bit chilly here in uh, Western Sydney, so I've got to warm up the night a little bit. Um, and I've actually got Uruguay winning in that one. So we have an all-South American World Cup final, and Lionel Messi is finally going to get that World Cup trophy in his fifth and last World Cup. I have got Argentina World Cup champions. Argentina versus Uruguay and Argentina. 
getting up. Very, very interesting from you, Pat. But that would mean the shocking sight of one team having to wear their away kit in a World Cup final, which I don't like at all. <laughs> Lucas, <laughs> who have you got making the semis? Okay, just to preface this, there's a couple things I want to say. Uh, so I've got France going out in the round of 16. I just want to mention this. Um, okay. And then also England had a very easy rise, ride with um, uh, with themselves finishing top and France finishing second. So that means that Denmark beat England in the quarterfinals. Also, the way I've got it would mean that if Croatia and Serbia, who I've got to make the quarterfinals, both win their round of six games, you could have Croatia versus Serbia in a quarterfinal Whoa. game at a World Cup, which would be absolutely ridiculous. Outrageous. Um, uh, but <laughs> I digress. Sorry for the little rant to start off with. My first semi final is an all South American tie, and it is the biggest rivalry in international football Argentina versus Brazil. Um, but I've got Brazil going through in that one. Um, I just think this Brazil side is is something else. Um, and I think I just can't see Argentina doing it. I want Messi to, to, to finally win his. His World Cup, but uh, if, and especially another thing you got to remember as well: it's the first World Cup since Maradona passed away. So there's an added little bit of bit of drama and uh, bit of storyline um, in there as well. Um, I'm upset actually that um, that uh, Pat has followed my hot take. What I thought was scolding. Um, <laughs> I've also gone Denmark to get to the semi-finals. Um, <laughs> But I've got them facing Germany, who will have beaten Serbia in this scenario. But one way where me and Pat differ is I've got Denmark to stun the Germans in a semi-final and make their first ever World Cup final. Oh. Um, which I don't think at any time I've ever predicted a World Cup. I've gone for a take as, as hot as this. I'm normally quite conservative. Ooh. But I think Denmark are going to make a final, and that means they will have beaten, uh, well, Mexico, but then England and Germany to get there. So not an easy run either. Um, but, and this is where the hot takes end, and we go back to freezing cold takes. I think Brazil are going to be your World Cup champions. It's been 20 years since they last did it. I think Neymar is going to fulfil his legacy um, and win a World Cup for Brazil. Yeah, even though you've got them tumbling in the final, Lucas, I think you've pleased a lot of our Danish listeners, which I like a lot. Now we've got a real rusted on <laughs> fan base out there in Scandinavia. We're trying to make sure once you move to Denmark that you're, you're welcomed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Very considerate of you, Lucas Fernaldo. And Pat Bruschetta, too, as well. You had him making the semi-final. Don't mind that from you. But this is what I've been looking forward to for the whole 80-plus minutes that we've been should we do? Should we do, um, should we do a player of the tournament quickly? We should. You know what? We should. Lucas, who have you got as your player of the tournament? Neymar, for me. I think uh, it normally goes to someone in the final. Um, I, I was The name that I was almost going to do was Casper uh, Schmeichel um, well. because I think if – if Denmark are going to go far, then they'll need him to have a good performance, um, yada, yada, yada. But um, then I think I've got Neymar. I think top goal scorer, I almost wanted to say uh, uh, Richarlison. I think he might have a big tournament for Brazil. Um, he generally starts for Brazil, even though obviously Jesus has been a much better player this season. But I've, I'm going to go uh, Lotaro Martinez of, 
of Argentina VC if you finished in the semi-finals you played the full seven games um, and I think he might be the top goal scorer of the tournament if you did say Carson would be going a bit too far into golden generation of Tottenham Hotspur podcast uh, in my opinion um, but Pat she player of the tournament and your leading goal scorer who have you got well I think Leaning man, uh, it's a bit of a boring one, but if I have Argentina winning, it's going to be Lionel Messi, isn't it? Is, are we going to see a repeat of 2014 where he took that Argentina team all the way to the final? Uh, we'll see. I think he's got a got a bit more help this time round. Um, I think gold, Golden Boot. I think Darwin Nunes. Why not another team I've got making the final? I'm predicting his the crazy chaos that he brings, and maybe even a headbutt hopefully won't stop him. But um. I think maybe he's going to get a few goals for Uruguay. Very interesting. And even more interesting is the final segment. Maybe not so much interesting. Maybe funny. Hopefully, you two have got some funny things in store for us. I I really, really hope you do. Otherwise, this segment is a bit bit pointless, isn't it? The segment's called Between the Lines. It's a a time or a tradition that we do at the end of the show, uh, all 10 or so episodes that we've done so far of the Golden Generation. But between the lines, I'm going to hit you with a World Cup-based prompt, and you boys are going to hit me with a line in return. And your first prompt of today are lines that we won't hear in the World Cup stadium stands. All right, you fancy a pint after the game, lads? (laughs) (laughs) We'll move on to our second one, and that one is... Things players won't be saying when they step off the plane in Qatar. Yeah, no, as, as the captains of England, we're very we're taking every precaution to uh, try and stay cool in Qatar. So we've actually brought along a fridge, a fridge, a, a fridge, a fridge, <laughs> and we put him at centre back. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> very good, Pat. Good job, Harry. <laughs> Oh, jeez, I should have brought my snowboard. I forgot that Qatar is some of the best Alps in the world. <laughs> Third one, we have been seeing some clips floating around on the old social media of some potentially paid-off fans, paid to support certain teams at this World Cup. So I'd like to know the telltale signs that someone going around in Qatar is a paid supporter. Come, dog. Who's this cum doc? <laughs> I cannot wait to see Mo Salah and Erling Haaland play at the World Cup. <laughs> if they're a paid supporter, I'd, I'd hope that they know <laughs> that. I hope they're not be paying, being paid to support uh, Egypt or Norway or Italy for that matter. Uh, but we'll move on to our final between the lines question prompt of today. We'll see many more of these going around in the next few episodes, the next 20 or so episodes of the World Cup. But final one, what Gianni Infantino, uh, FIFA big dog, won't be saying in his World Cup final speech? I would like to invite my very good friend Vladimir Putin onto the stage. <laughs> We've done the same thing. I had that exact... So to celebrate... As we finally wrap up the World Cup, it's time to move out with tradition and let's all get fucking shit-faced. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Gianni will no doubt be doing that. And what people, I hope, no doubt are doing, will be tuning in 
to the rest of our episodes. The next one will be on Monday to review the Qatar versus Ecuador game and preview England, Iran, Senegal, Netherlands, USA, Wales, and the tournament in general, I guess. Talk about the stories. Talk to the people on the ground. We've got so, so many people, guests lined up for this. We've got Tom Williams. We've got Marcus Flores. We've got Guy Finkel. We've got Tony Wilson. We've got Piney, Jason Pine. We've got Fernando Rich. And, yeah, it's going to be so good. That is an icon Rich. of, of, of Rich. Adelaide. Rich. It's Fernando Rick. Thank you Fernando very much. Rick. I'm an absolute wreck in the ears and the eyes of all the listeners. But hopefully you've enjoyed this enough and you're going to tune in to our future podcast. I'm very excited. Lucas, you feeling good? I'm feeling excellent. There's nothing like a World Cup starting. Um, and I can't wait to finally get amongst it and watch as many games as I can. We're not going to sleep for the next month, uh, but we've got some nice friendly time zones. I was hoping, you know, that we get a World Cup in November, December, that we're going to get some nice weather and be able to watch it in the sunshine, but I'm not sure about in Victoria, New South Wales. It is still pissing down in <laughs> South Australia, but uh, we're God's looking for... Yeah, <laughs> we're looking forward. Yeah, he's, he's not he's not letting anyone enjoy uh, this World Cup in the sun, but cannot wait for Australia to go and win it. And Cum Dog is going to win the cup. And if Australia get out of the group, I will get a Cum Dog tattoo on my ass. Whoa! Okay, jeez. <laughs> Three there points. We you said go. you were going to do something. Actually, with that. no, no. Can I change that? Well, if we get to the quarterfinals, no, no, no. Too late. No, 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 no. Okay, then you get cum dog on your ass then. No, I don't want to. I didn't make the promise. You've made your jeez. bed. Sleep in it, mate. <laughs> and Pat, oh. I hope you're not too much of a tired wretch, and you'll no doubt be back in your bed and sleeping it because this has been an absolute marathon podcast. It's 11.17 Sydney time at this point in the night. I hope listeners of The Golden Generation listen to it at a more orderly hour. But I'd like to thank you, Pat, very much for coming to this podcast. Look forward to chatting to you more uh, in the next month or so. It's been good, mate. Thank you very much, Harper. Let the games begin. Well, let the games begin. Okay, okay, Gianni. But thank you to all <laughs> listeners for tuning in. Please do check out our Buy Me A Coffee and we'll see you on Monday.